You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. It is an amazing opportunity for me. I feel very honoured and very blessed to be able to share this day with you. Um, Please take your seats. We're going to have fun this morning. I'm not sure why you came this morning. Some of you, ah, sorry, I just saw my friend at the back. I'm very excited. Um, (laughs) I don't know why you came this morning. Some of you may have come to see me. Um, Some of you have come because you come to church on Sunday. Some of you come because you were dragged by your mum. But for whatever reason you've come, I just, my prayer is is that you'd have your heart open to receive this morning. Um, You know, I just wanted to bring some context to my daughter's uh, description of who I am. That I'm white. You know, my, my husband does a really good job in trying to build up our children and, and speak identity in them. And obviously, as you know, um, or most of you know, um, my, my children are half Nigerian. And, you know, Quilla was asking questions about her skin color and how she looks different from her friends. And, you know, and he started speaking to her and he said, baby, we're black and black is beautiful. And he's speaking identity into her. And then, and then he said, to her, and she goes, so... Because black is beautiful, is mummy black too? And then, and then daddy responds, no, she's white, but still beautiful, but she's white. So that's the context behind why she said what she said. But you know, that identity is such an important thing. It's so, it's so critical to who we are as a people. And you know, I stand here today and the last time I was up on this um, platform, I, I introduced myself and I said, you know, um, I am known by my Filipino mother as Anak, and I'm known as by my sisters as Tush, and my friends as Tash, by my students as Mrs. Collins, my husband, Babe, and by my beautiful babies, I'm known as Mummy. And I carry a different, various roles and responsibilities in my, in my world, but my identity, first and foremost, comes from being a child of God, by being a daughter of the Most High God. There is no other identity that that forms and shapes my being than that, because that is the truth. No matter what season you are in your life, no matter what roles or responsibilities you play, your identity as a child of God is inherently who you are. Your call, your responsibilities, your giftings are things that are placed on you, but they aren't you as a person. You are a child of God. And, you know, the whole theme of this, of this morning is beloved. You know, I am a teacher, so as an English teacher, beloved is an adjective. An adjective, a descriptive word to just simply say that you are dearly loved. And from Genesis to Revelation, this is how God speaks to his church. He says you are dearly loved. You are affectionately endeared to him. And... And, and, and even more so in the New Testament, we see that that's how God relates to us as beloved, that we are children of God. So we're going to take a journey um, this morning. We're going to take a journey this morning um, from the ultimate mother, I believe, which is Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm super encouraged because um, when... I, I was texting Christine, who is the mother of this house, who is ministering now in New Zealand, and she was like, let me, let me pray for you. Tell me what you're preaching on. And I told her what I was preaching on. She's like, no way. 
I'm preaching on the same thing. So it's really encouraging to know that, that there's something going on in the atmosphere of heaven that we're tapping on into. So I'd like you to open up your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, and we're going from verse 26. But just to set up some context around this story, we have a young teenage girl who we know as Mary, and she's preparing to get married. And she, um, you know, and just like any other sort of like girl at her time, that was a very honorable thing in first century Jerusalem to be married. And so she was very excited about this, but she has an encounter with an angel who tells her that she is about to become pregnant, not by the natural way, but by a supernatural overshadowing of the Holy Spirit who would um, birth forth um, Jesus into her womb and that she would deliver into the world. So let's just unpack this story. And so it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the household of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, I just want to highlight something to you that I, that I realized when, as I was reading this scripture um, you know, with fresh eyes this week. It says that... We should rejoice, oh, sorry, that when the angel came in, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner this greeting was. Now, angels aren't little babies that play harps in the sky, as we so familiar see in media and all those beautiful Christmas cards. Angels are massive, mighty warriors of heaven. And but the fact that an angel came in and into her room, and she wasn't startled by that, but by the fact of what he was just saying. She was a bit confused about what he was saying and what this could all mean in light of the fact that she's never been with a man and that, you know, that she's about to get married and how is this all going to work out. She's just troubled by his saying. You know, the, when I found out that I was pregnant, it was very interesting because I was not anticipating to be pregnant. I had just been married for two months. Uh, we weren't planning uh, or anything of that nature. And I, um, the doctor said to me, oh, you need to, like, like the, we did some pregnancy tests and it came up negative. And so I said, see, look, I'm not pregnant. I told you, like, it's all good. I'm on birth control. It's all good. And then he's like, and then she says, I don't know. There's just something that's telling me that there's something going on that I'm not picking up here. So I want to take a blood test. So they took a blood test. And when I, um, they called me back, they're like, okay, you need to come back so we can tell you your results and stuff. And so I was like, okay, no worries. So when I went back, um, I went back to the doctors and they told me what my results were. They're like, yep, your liver is fine. Um, yep, your blood's fine. Um, and yep, you're pregnant. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm pregnant? And they're like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, like, no, <laughs> no, uh, no. Like, and so I asked them, I'm like, like, they printed the report for me and it all just looked like numbers and words that I couldn't understand. And I was like, I don't understand this report. How does this tell me that I'm pregnant? They were like, well, you see this little part in the bottom of the document says 5U slash O. I was like, yeah. She, um, she says, well, when, when a woman's not pregnant, they have like five or less hormones per liter. I'm like, okay. Um, so you see where it says 150? 
That's how many hormones you're producing per liter. So you have a baby growing on the inside of you. And I was like, <gasps> like shocked. Like, are you sure, God? I don't even know how to feed myself. Are you sure? And here we have Mary being told by an angel that you're about to give birth to the Savior of the world. And she's just sort of like, let it be done according to your will. But let's unpack it a little bit further. And she says, and then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her. She who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angels departed from her. On that note, I'm just going to pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity that I have to share with your people. And Father, I pray, God, that as I speak this morning, Lord God, that, Lord, that every word that utters forth from my mouth, God, will not come from my own wisdom and understanding, God, but will come from a place of truth and the revelation of heaven. Father, I pray that every person will receive a deposit into their spirit today, Father God, that every mother will feel blessed, every person in this house, Father God, will walk away, Father God, knowing something of you this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm working, walking a, a little bit backwards here, but there's a very special person to me who's in the auditorium this morning, and I'm just going to ask my mom to stand up, please, and I'm going to try very hard not to get emotional right now, but I, um, shame on me, I haven't texted my mom or done a sappy Facebook post yet about how incredible my mama is, but I just want to take this opportunity to honour my mom. My mom is a single mother. So any other single mothers in the house, like, there is the toughest job in the world. I know how hard it is just to be a mom and to think that I have to do this on my own. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. My mom worked three jobs growing up because my mom didn't want to rent. She really wanted to provide for us. She wanted an inheritance for us. And so she laid down her life, quite literally, for us. And she never wanted us, not that there's anything wrong with housing commission or anything of that nature, but she knew the responsibility she had as a mum and she wanted to do everything in her power to make sure that we were set up. And so I really just want to say thank you <laughs> and I love you so much. You're an incredible, incredible woman and I am who I am because of you. You know, my mum, you can sit down now, mama. Um, you know, yes. I know this might be hard to believe, but I was a wayward child growing up. My mum, my goodness, had to put up with some really tough years with me, really tough. The first time I ever saw my mum, you know, growing up, 
it was difficult. It was really hard. And I can't get into the full stories of, of everything that happened and the details, but there were moments where we were homeless. There were moments where we were like, like I remember there was a season where we lived in like this community house, like no, a community hall that had been abandoned. We were like filtering electricity from a house down the road. And, um, and you know, and my mom, like we had all our furnishings in it and she made it fun. She made it like this was the really great thing. Like this is, this is going to be fun where, um, you know, it's an adventure. This is an adventure. And I had no idea. I had no idea. The, the circumstances, the situation I found myself in. I'm just going to take off my earring because it's rattling against the mic. Sorry. Um, you know, I had no idea the situation we were actually in. And she never cried. Not once. I never saw her cry. Not that there's anything wrong with crying. I'm sure she cried many tears behind closed doors, but she never cried in front of me. But the first time I saw my mother cry was when I lied to her. <laughs> I was about 13, 14 years old. I forged a, a note to leave school early um, because my, I was peer pressured by my friends. And, um, and my mom was making my life. She never goes through my bag, ever. But this one morning, she went through my bag and she saw the early slip. And I come home late and I told my mom that I was at the library over time and she'd bought the lie and all the rest of it. Because why would I lie to her? She's my mom and I've never lied to her before. And so, um, I, and then she realizes, like, she's got the notes. She knows I'm lying. She's like, why were you late yesterday? And I was like, oh, because, you know, I was at the library. And she goes, no, why were you really late? And I, she kept interrogating, interrogating. And I'm like, Mom, I was sta you know, standing by my life. Mom, why won't you believe me? I told you. And then she just threw the letter in my face and she walked away and cried. And I knew that was, yeah, that was really, really bad. And that just led to a series of events that were just devastating. But my mom is a beautiful, um, prayerful woman. And she never stopped praying for me. So never underestimate the power of your prayers. The prayers of a faithful mother who will pray for her children, God can do anything. You know, um, so back to the story. We're going back to the story. You know, the fact that, that Mary didn't freak out that an angel was in her room tells me one thing about her, that she actually had a relationship with God, that this encounter wasn't foreign to her. This is something that would have happened in her day. And she knew that and she expected something like this to happen. And, you know, when she said um, she embraced it, she wasn't, she wasn't scared about it. She embraced it fully. And as the scripture goes on, we see later on that she worships the Lord. And that's the first thing that we need to do is that my first point this morning is that we need to take it back to God. We need to take it back to God. I know that this is Mother's Day and it seems like this is a mother's message and it might be, you know, like an opportunity for men to kind of be like, oh, this doesn't apply to me or if you're a school student or if you're in university or whatever your situation might be. But I promise you that even if it's not mothering per se, you have a ministry, you have a call, you have a responsibility on your life that you need to unfold and be faithful to and you need to take that back to God. Because in Philippians 1 verse 16, it says that he who begun a good work in you will bring it into completion. And he will bring, it, he'll bring that, that, the full manifestation of that destiny forth. But as the story continues, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2. And a, year, a few years have gone past now. And we see that Jesus is lost. His parents have lost him and it's been three days. And so they finally find him and he's in the temple. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, it says this. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? 
Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement when, when he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. His mother kept all these things in her heart. When Jesus was preaching in the synagogue, people were astounded by what he was preaching. When his parents found him, they saw him in this state, and they were also surprised too. But obviously, they'd been anxiously looking for him for three days. I don't know if you've ever lost your kid before, for like for 10 minutes. But after three days, I can relate. You know, I can understand why, why Mary might be just a little bit anxious here. But she shouldn't have been. Because her, her son is an earthly bound son. His father is the father of God of heaven and earth. And so it implies to me that there must have been a moment in that 12 years that Mary just forgot for a second who Jesus was and who he was to her. You know, we need to remember, and this is my second point, is that they belong to God. Your child belongs to God. Your ministry belongs to God. Your call belongs to God. It's not, don't hold it too tightly. Remember that it belongs to the Lord. Yes, you're called to steward it. Yes, you're called to, to protect it, to nurture it, do whatever you can with it. But it is ultimately God's. It is from Him and it's to Him that we do these things. And so she keeps these things in her heart. Jesus keeps growing. We sort of don't think about that. Hey, we don't really think about, you know, Jesus growing up. Like, you know, as a carpenter, like, did he stuff up? You know, like, did he ever make a mistake? You know, like, you know, no one really, like, really thinks about those fine details, you know. Like, the fact that, I mean, the fact that Jesus, God of the universe, chose to come inside. Like, he could have just went, boom, I'm here. I will die on the cross for your sins. And that would have been just as powerful. But God, the creator chooses to come inside a womb of a woman he created to be birthed forth, to, to be nurtured and to feed on the breasts that he created, to be, be vulnerable and be changed, like have nappy changes by a woman that he created. Like think about that. He went through every season of life as a human so that his sacrifice was fully, fully, fully fully paid. In every single way he was tested. He has been through every situation for us. But years go by and she's still continuing to raise Jesus. And we don't really see her in the picture until John chapter 2. And there's a situation. There's a wedding in Cana. And I'll read. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, I'm just going to pause there for a second. Jesus addresses his mother as woman. If you address your mother as woman, it may not go down as um, smoothly for you as it did for Jesus. And it does sound a little bit disrespectful, but the translation doesn't fully embody it the way that Jesus had actually expressed it. And the word there was, it's sort of like how Americans say ma'am or, um, you know, missus. Like he, it, was, it was with a line of respect. 
but to distinguish her for a second from like that, I'm not your son kind of thing. Like, you know, I'm making a distinguishing point here. So because he was saying something of his father's will, like what does this have my concern? It is not yet my hour. But then his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill up the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And, when, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee had manifested his glory and his disciples believed him and his miracle and his ministry took a platform from then forth. You know, this wedding has been going on for three days. It's been going on for three days. I said this in the morning service that clearly Nathan Tillett wasn't on the wedding planning agenda because the, the, guest, the bridegroom had run out of wine had run out of wine. But it'd been three days, like, you know, call it a day. Like, it's been a good, you know, it's been a good party. Like, let's let, leave it to the bride and the groom to have their moment. But, she, but Mary, she's so distressed about it. It almost, like, I feel like, it doesn't say it clearly in Scripture, but I feel like this, these people must have meant something to her. They must have been important to her, like family. And it was a disgrace to leave, to leave something that was so in its heights of joy and heights of celebration to leave because of lack and because of the shame of that what that would cause upon their family, but also just the fact that you want to end on a joyful note in abundance, you know? The enemy says, okay, that's enough and we should just take it. But Mary does something different. She, this is the second, uh, the third point, is that we need to position our children for greatness. And this is what she starts to do. She recognizes, she remembers, she's storing these things in her heart. She knows that she's, this, this baby is not earthbound, that this baby is called of God. And she puts a demand on him as God to do a miracle. Without something, it is impossible to please God. What is that word? Faith. faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Mary puts a demand on Jesus, not as her son, but as God. She doesn't even answer his question. Woman, what does this have anything to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You know, this is not a, a necessary miracle per se. I was saying in the earlier service that in the, books of, the book of Acts, you know, you have a, a guy fall out the window, three stories that dies and needs resurrection. That's kind of a necessary miracle. That's a probably good point to start on. But he starts his miracle with a group of people that have been drinking for three days. Which says something. I love the humor of God. His, his celebration, his, his attitude towards joy and celebration. I love that he started on that point, but that's another story. You know, but she doesn't even answer his question. She just turns to the servants and says, whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever he says to do, do it. She releases her faith and God responds to what? Faith. And so Heavenly Father gave him permission Jesus' permission, because he was in human form, 
to release this miracle. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You know, the, I, I love that in, in the text, it says that the water, so Jesus says to them, fill the water, pot, the, the water pots with water, and they filled them. And they drew some out now and took it to the master of the feast. And it continues on. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, but did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. They knew. It's interesting because there's no implication that they knew it had yet turned into wine until he tasted it. Because when they're filling up the water pots, it had just been water. It had just been water. And they take it up to, they take it up to the, the, the master and he drinks it and he knows that it's been made wine. And from that point onwards, it says that his disciples believed in him. They believed him up until that point, but now with the manifestation of this sign and this wonder, they now believe in his ministry and they follow him down to Capernaum. So a good mother positions her children for greatness. She sets them up for their destiny. And that's what Mary did for Jesus. But then as the text goes on, we find, again, the, the Bible is silent about what Mary is doing, but we see her again in, in John chapter 19. And in verse 25, she's at the feet of Jesus, the fulfillment of, of his ministry. She knows, she's always known, this day was coming. But no, I don't think any word can fully prepare a heart for what she was about to witness. And she's at Jesus' feet, and it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. You know, Joseph was around looking for Jesus when, when Mary was looking for Jesus when he's 12 years old, but Joseph isn't here now. And it implies that somewhere between when Jesus was 12 and to now this point when Jesus is dying on the cross, Joseph has died as well. And he's leaving his mother vulnerable. But family matters so much to God that even while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's still doing family. And he's looking after his mother and he says, Behold, mother, this is your son. And this son, behold, your mother. It's important that we recognize our season. And that's our next point, to recognize your season. Your season in your ministry, your season in your call, your season in your walk with God, in your season in your motherhood. My motherhood season looks very different to say my mother. <laughs> you know, my mom's got now adult children to steward, but it's going to look very different to the way that my motherhood season is. And it's important that we recognize our season. The thing that I love most about Mary is that she keeps her eyes fixed on the bigger picture. She keeps her eyes fixed on God. Now, I'll ask the worship team to come up as I kind of bring this all into a close. I mentioned earlier that I mentioned earlier that the whole theme of this Mother's Day event is beloved. And, you know, from the beginning of creation in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden, hand in hand, transparent, in full um, intimacy with God. And then we fast forward 
down to Revelation and we see an amazing wedding celebration between Christ and His church. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and the Lord comes, and there's this unity, and there's this union, and there's this intimacy that takes forth between God and His church. But almost close to the middle of Scripture, we have the Songs of Solomon, which is really interesting in terms of where it's positioned. And there's, it's, it's a book that, you know, up until you were 13, as a little Jewish boy, you weren't allowed to read it because it was so erotic, because it was celebrating the intimacy and the union between a king and his bride. And I love the Passion Translation because it just says it so poetically. And it says this, in, Solom- in Songs of Songs, chapter 6, verse 4 to 10, and it says this, And He says this over each and every one of us individually. So I want you to hear it to you directly, not as the church, but just to you. Oh, my beloved, you are lovely. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one, more pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Even hosts of angels stand in awe of you, Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of these eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone. Held captive by your love, I am truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice. The shining of your spirit shows how you have taken my truth to become balanced and complete. Your beautiful blushing cheeks reveal how real your passion is for me, even hidden behind your veil of humility. I could have chosen any from among the vast multitude of royal ones who follow me, but one is my beloved dove, unrivaled in beauty, without equal, beyond compare, the perfect one, the favorite one. Others see your beauty and sing of your joy. Brides and queens chant your praise. How blessed is she? Look at you now, arising as the dayspring of the dawn, fair as a shining moon, brilliant and bright as the sun in all its strength, astonishing to behold as a majestic army waving banners of victory. Isn't that beautiful? How dearly beloved we are to God. Even hosts of angels stare in awe of you. Do you know why? Because you have something to celebrate. They they cannot. They don't need the blood of Jesus. They don't have the same access to the Father's heart like you and I have. And they stand in awe of us that we have this opportunity to have this such an intimacy with God. And that is the anchor of our identity. Mary looked to Jesus. Mary looked to God and found her identity first and foremost in Him before any other title came her way. We still know her as mother. We still know her as Mary, the mother of Jesus. That season was done, but her title never changed. You never change being a mother, but your identity first and foremost is in Christ. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com, or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.